0: Tonight we're going to start uh, the next tonight and next week on Thyatira, and um, <clears throat> I had some questions to ask, but I I think we're going to just skip those because I don't want to run over 7:15, and that's quite easy to do. So as we get into tonight's. Uh, Let's read the scripture that goes with this, and it's uh, Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. And tonight we're going to be basically talking mainly about verses 18, 19, and 20. So it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, "...into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling." Verse 22, "...so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways." I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Past couple of weeks, we've uh, talked about Pergamum. And uh, Thyatira is about, it, it depends what commentary you look at, but I've read that it can be anywhere from 35 to 55 miles from uh, Pergamum. And uh, as we go through this, we'll kind of see the relationship that they had with with the, the city of Pergamum. So this is the fourth letter of the Lord to the churches in Revelation. And the letter to the church at Thyatira, it's a city which was the least important city of the seven. If you were traveling along the road from Pergamum towards Sardis, you would encounter this town on Thy- of Thyatira on the way. It's in a valley. If you recall, uh, the other cities was very close to the Aegean Sea, and uh, Pergamum. Remember last week, it was up on a hill, about a thousand foot up. And so this city is in a valley. It is just south of a river. It is a journey of about, like I said, 35 to 50, 55 miles from the city, and someone has said that this letter is the longest and the most difficult of the seven letters to look at. And it is written to the least important and the least remarkable of the cities. And when I thought about that, I'm thinking, hmm, you know, God has a way he maybe has a lot to say to some unimportant people. These people were not, this, this city was not considered to be one of the, the most important cities of these letters. So it is a relatively unimportant town. There were no real distinguishing features about this city, and it was not situated on a harbor like Ephesus or Smyrna. So it was not on a prominent hill, like I said, like Pergamum. Remember last week we talked about Satan's throne and there was a a temple in the city of Pergamum that looked like a throne? Well, there's none of that in this city. In fact, it was in the middle of a valley and was situated quite a ways from the Mediterranean Sea. We know it to have been a military town for its position. It was on the road which connected the cities of Pergamum and Sardis. It was a thriving city, and it was the gateway to Pergamum, which was the capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor. And so there was an armed garrison. In other words, garrison is the troops. They had like an army. There was about 150 to 300 uh, men and placed in that city, And why were they there? They were there to protect the capital. In other words, Thyatira had about 150 to 300 guys there, soldiers, troops, who were there to protect in case their enemies would come through. And why did they do that? It gave Pergamum time then to prepare for those that would be invading it. So it, in that area, in that sense, it was it was an important city. So it wasn't capable of a sustained defense because it lay in it was an open valley. So the very best that Thyatira could hope for was to be a speed bump, so to speak, that would slow an advancing army that would go towards Pergamum, and it was for defense of the city of Pergamum. It was to be a military garrison outpost city to defend against invaders coming from the east who would want to go west then towards the city of Pergamum. Pergamum, if you recall, was a fortress city. It was a citadel. it was a fortress city. The whole function of the town of Thyatira, when it was founded, was just to delay invaders for about 24 hours. That was their main concern. If we can just stop these invaders for for a day, that was their whole goal, is to stop these invaders so they wouldn't go on to Pergamum. So it was the kind of a city that no matter who held it, it had to be defended, and whoever took it had to rebuild it again because it was an important city. So this, this little town, this city of, of uh, Thyatira, can you imagine when an, when an invader would come in, I imagine there was damage done. There was probably some fighting going on. Well, they left and the town had to be rebuilt. So it lay in the path of invasion. The factor of it being a military city is somewhat important in the Lord's description of this city. In fact, the coinage that was used in Thyatira actually, their their god, small g, okay, their god is pictured as going to war with a double bladed battle axe over his shoulder, ready to defend. In Roman times, peace had pretty much settled in in this valley of Thyatira. It had become a commercial trading center. It was just beginning to be a successful city commercially at the time of the writing of Revelation. The city was full of merchants and full of manufacturing. Of all the cities of Asia, this city gives the most evidence of having trade guilds. Another word for trade guilds is unions, trade unions. And uh, at Thyatira there were trade unions. They had wool workers going on. They had linen workers going on. Uh, They had makers of outer garments. They had dyers. They had leather workers. They had tanners. Uh, They had patterns. They had bakers, they had slave, uh, slave dealers. So it was, uh, they had a lot of different things going on in that city. And one of the other things they had was bronze smiths. We know from Acts 16, verse 14, that a lady named Lydia, and we've all heard, I'm sure, of Lydia, and she was living at the city of Philippi and was a dealer in purple cloth. Uh, from the city of Thyatira. And back then, this purple cloth was a luxury thing. It It was very expensive. It was a luxury item for the people. And Lydia, by the way, was the first documented convert to Christianity in Europe. I found that quite interesting. So the factor of this town... Being an important guild center or union center perhaps provides the, the um, background for the problem that dominates this letter. It was difficult to make a living as a Christian in Thyatira without belonging to the union. In fact, if you did not belong to a trade union, you probably would not have a job you would not be working. It was that important. It was the practice of these trade unions to have their meetings in association with dedicating the meeting to a God. Not our God, but to a God. It would be expected that when the trade union members met, most likely... They met in a temple that the meeting would begin with a sacrifice to the pagan god. Then following the sacrifice, meat would be eaten by the worshipers. And remember, recall, it said, You do not eat the meat that was there, okay? So it was it was a ma- these people were faced with this horrible thing of they had to work to make a living but they had to belong to these trade unions and they had to to get in there and do the things that the trade unions uh, represented them to do. So the following sacrifice meat would be eaten by the worshipers. Often as was the case with heathen or pagan types of rituals that at the end of the feast, guess what they did? There was a big drunken rally. They got drunk, and then what did that lead to? Immorality. A lot of sexual immorality was going on. Now remember, this church in Thyatira, the Christians had to face this. They were up against this, these trade unions. So an example to an invitation to one of these trade unions meetings might go something like this. You would receive an invitation which said, I invite you to dine with me at the table of our Lord. Small l. Okay. As a, and a Christian had a major problem at that point. If he was going to work, like I said, he had to belong to that trade union. If he belonged, he had to go to the meetings where there were sacrifices to the gods the eating of meat in the temple, and often the practice of immorality in association with that worship. That was a huge problem the church was facing. So Christ, in writing this letter to the church, he first of all introduces himself by the way of his character, as he does in all the letters. And it said, to the angel of the church. If you notice each letter that Jesus uh, wrote, and that John penned, it was to the angel of the church. So he identifies himself, first of all, how he says there, the Son of God. In verse 18, these are the words of the Son of God. As familiar as this term is to us, it is not a familiar term in the book of Revelation. In fact, it is only used one time. Son of God is only used one time in the book of Revelation. And here it is in this letter. It is used because the Lord wants to remind this church why? of his authority as he speaks. He is the son of God. He he is the one who has the right to command the church because he is the son of God who has the right to order also our lives. He is, in effect, telling this church, I am the one who is giving these orders, the son of God. There are some in the church who are disobeying the orders, he said, which I am giving. There are all kinds of ways to disobey orders of the Lord, to substitute our own reasoning of the way things ought to be done, as we will see in this letter. The Lord says, I am the Son of God, and I issue the orders, and it is your responsibility to obey. Then the Lord describes himself as having flaming eyes. Eyes of fire speaks of his all-searching, penetrating glare, gaze, that reveals and exposes every hidden sin and motivation. Nothing, friends, nothing escapes his gaze. Fire does what? It cleanses and purifies. So here we have the Son of God giving orders with eyes that are penetrating and just. Can you imagine looking at Jesus and seeing these eyes that are just gazing at you like fire? Verse 18 continues, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Feet speak of dominion, walk, stability, and strength. At Thyatira, there were bronze makers. Remember we said that? That was part of their industry. The word in the Greek that is used here is used only twice in the New Testament, both times in the letters of the seven churches, meaning a kind of metal. Burnished means it is highly polished and radiant. The fact that they were burnished reveals Christ's absolute purity both in his walk and dominion. The Lord has that on his feet. It is symbolic. It is a way of saying that when a soldier goes off to war, you're not going to see that soldier wearing thongs or sandals or go barefoot. They wear boots because they are going to be treading on rock in tough places. Christ has the right to put all things under his feet. His authority is final and his judgment is pure. And he can trample sin underfoot and severely punish that which is wrong if need be. So we've got this thing of going. Son of God, he gives orders. His eyes are what? Blazing. They're penetrating. And now we have the burnished bronze. Going on to the next point in this study then, we're going to go, that was kind of the character, we're going to go to the commendation. Once the Lord has attention of the church, he then gives it a commendation in verse 19. Verse 19 says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. The striking thing about this commendation is that it is the longest word of commendation or approval that is given to any of the churches. There are two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, that are given no word of condemnation, but only commendation. But this word of approval is even longer than the approval given to the churches of Philadelphia and Smyrna for whom the Lord had nothing critical to say. What is there to commend in this church? What is, what's going on in that church? He commends, what does it say? Their love, their faith, their service, and patient endurance. Love leads to service. Have you ever thought about that? Love, if you love the Lord you're going to want to serve. That's just, a, that's just the way it is. You're going to want to serve. Faith leads to perseverance. If you love God, you will serve his people. You cannot help it. And if you have faith, you will persevere. You will understand that God is in control of all things and all things will work out according to his purpose. Sometimes that gets a little tough, doesn't it, to, to really soak in. But our faith, we're going we're to persevere. God's in control of all things, and all things will work out according to his purpose. So here was a church that had many people that loved God and served his people. They had faith in his word. And they persevered, they helped many, and they kept it up. As others then got involved, the church grew. So the deeds or the works of the church were far more when this letter was written than when it first began. If you and I had been there at Thyatira, we would have been greatly impressed by this church. It was a busy, bustling, active church with some wonderful people in it who obviously manifested love and faith, concern and care for others. What in the world could be wrong with a church like that? It must have seemed a very attractive church. So Jesus is saying That this church is maturing, it is more alive in Christ than the day in which they started. What a tremendous commendation to give a person. The Lord commended this church for numerous things. But now the blazing eyes and the burning feet go into action. We begin to learn facts about the church in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By the teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The condemnation is very simple. There are a number of verses which explain the condemnation. But the condemnation itself is, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Imagine yourself. We're going to go on a little bit of an imaginary trip here. Imagine yourself that you are part of the church at Thyatira. You have heard that the Lord has sent a message by the Apostle John to Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. Now you are made aware that the church you are at also received a letter from Jesus. You have heard all the wonderful things that the church was commended for, God sees your service. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your patience. And he also knows that you are working better and more maturely now than you did when you first started as a Christian. And then what happens? Nevertheless, but nevertheless, I have a few things against you how could he have anything against him when they were doing so well? All of a sudden, we're in that church, remember? All of a sudden, everybody's stirring, everybody's raising up. What is going on? Everybody is repositioning themselves in your seats. And they are listening with close attention to what the nevertheless is going to be. What is the problem Jesus has seen that he is about to reveal? He is going to reveal, first of all, the source of their perversion. In verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel. When we talk about Jezebel in verse 20, there was evidently someone or some in the church who had the character of Jezebel, who was one of the most wicked persons in the Old Testament. This person would very likely have had a place of prominence or a position of influence back then. The spirit of Jezebel is all a lot about control. It was not enough for Ahab. Who's Ahab? Jezebel was married to this guy. He was the king of Israel. Okay. And Jezebel covered up for her husband. He wanted a vineyard. Do you remember the story back in Kings? He wanted a vineyard that belonged to Namath what happened he wanted that vineyard so bad and this is just a little bit about Jezebel and how she worked things out. well Ahab like I said was the king of Israel at that time and so Ahab goes and talks to to Namath but who had the vineyard it was close to where their palace was okay so it was a perfect setup if he could get that vineyard. He wanted that little vineyard, but Naboth said, No, I can't do that. That is the family lineage, and I would not do it. And what does Ahab say? Well, let me buy it from you. Naboth says, No, it's not for sale. He says, Let me trade you another piece of property. He wants this thing pretty bad. Naboth says, it is not for sale and it's not for a trade. I am going to keep what I got. I don't want you to have that. It is in my family, not yours. So Ahab goes back to the palace and he goes off and he begins to pout. He throws himself upon the king's bed and he begins to cry. He won't eat. He won't do anything. He goes into depression. Well, guess who comes along? His wife, Jezebel. Jezebel comes in and says, What's wrong with the king today? The king won't eat. Here he is. he is. He is pitching a fit. He says, Naboth won't let me have that vineyard. All during this time, Jezebel, remember Jezebel had a controlling spirit? So what does she do? She says, what? What are you talking about? The king says, Naboth won't let me have that vineyard. She says, well, you're the king. You can have that vineyard if you want it. Controlling and conniving. The king says, no, I tried to buy it. I tried to trade it. He won't do it. She says, no, no, you won't have to do that. You are the king. You can control it. You just leave it up to me. Wow. I'll get the vineyard for you. She begins to go out from there because what is her spirit? Her spirit is one of control. Going back to the church, what was happening? There was a Jezebel spirit in that church. Okay, And she says, I can control this man. I can control... I can control his, the kingdom, this kingdom, through, through an, an Ahab. We see the seed of Jezebel. Friends, there are Jezebels in the church. Sometimes very hard to recognize because they have a controlling spirit that is difficult to see. The spirit of Jezebel is always controlling the church in some way. Jezebel ended up, what did she do? She murdered Naboth so Ahab could have the vineyard. A little bit more on this character Jezebel. Like I said, she was married to the Israel king, Ahab, She brought with her from the north her worship of Baal and integrated it into the worship of Israel and turned Ahab's heart aside so that he did worse than all the kings who were before him. Ahab tried to keep his foot in the worship of the Lord and the other foot in worship to Baal that does not work. Baal was a fertility god and his worship involved immoral practices. There were temple prostitutes, both male and female, associated with the worship of Baal. It was Jezebel who spread that degraded worship widely among the ten tribes of Israel until it became one of the popular religions of that day. She herself supported over 800 prophets of Baal who ate at her table. She was the one who tried to kill Elijah after his encounter with 450 false prophets. But when Jezebel got after him, he ran for his life. She was a ruthless She was immoral, a seducer of the people, and that is why Jesus selects her name for this dominant woman at the church in Thyatira. In other words, it was a a, uh, character, symbolic for a character. According to the prophecy of the Old Testament, Jezebel entered her days by being thrown from her palace window into the courtyard below where the dogs came and ate her body and licked up her blood. The Lord says as he looks at this particular person in the body, who is evidently well-respected in the church, is called a prophetess. Well, She is evidently part of the group which in other letters have been identified as the Nicolaitans or the Balaamites. We talked about that last week. They all believed the same thing. They believed in compromise with the world. We see compromise in our churches today. We have to be so careful. If we have to go to the pagan feast at the temple, okay, then we'll go. What harm is there if the body is engaged in sin? The spirit cannot sin. This is what these people were thinking. So if we have to join in them to be able to work, we'll do it. Compromise. Therefore, serve God and engage in the heathen practices as much as you like. Wow. My question is, do we have that in their churches today? We can do what we want to do as long as we're there on Sunday morning serving God. Friends, it doesn't work that way. In fact, there is a word that the Lord uses in verse 24 that there are some of you in Thyatira who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. This probably then refers to one of the distinctive doctrines which this group said. If you really want to know what it is like on the inside, Let's get the super special teaching that is not in the Bible and no one else has and we will lead you into the real deep mystery of God. What the deep things of Satan were we know from the second century there was a group in the church that said sin is all you want because the trick is to soil your body in sin but keep your spirit pure. It doesn't work. That does not work. That is the deep things of Satan. He says, keep your body pure, your spirit pure. See, they thought that they could do anything and everything they wanted to do as long as the spirit, as long as your spirit was clean. Remember that the people in this city had to be a member of a trade union, remember? For their work, so the Christians had to join that union. And they made up pagans. They were were unbelievers for the most part. These guilds, or these unions, met frequently, and they met for a common meal. Such a meal was, at least in part, a religious ceremony. They would probably meet in a heathen temple... And it would certainly begin with a libation to the gods. Now, they worshipped the gods. And the meal itself was largely consisted of meat offered to idols. That was a no-no. The official position of the church meant that a Christian could not attend such a meal. This was the problem that these Thyatiran Christians faced. So they had to make a choice. It was difficult to live in Thyatira for this very reason. But apparently, this Jezebel teaching had begun to teach that it was alright for them to go along with the requirements of the, of the union. That they needed to submit to the pressures of the world around in order to make a living. And that God would understand and overlook this. It doesn't work that way. Today we hear, well, business is business. You ever heard that phrase? If business practices collide with your Christian principles, then your principles have to go. That was, that's the way they believe. After all, you, you've got to make a living So have you ever heard that kind of an argument? We have to realize that this is a continual war with the people of God. It is a continual war with us. How far should the Christian accept and adopt contemporary standards in conduct in practices? The human body, is it mine to do with what I please? Or is it the Lord's to do with as he orders? Son of God, he orders. We face the assault in regard to our mind, especially in a setting where the Christian's view comes across as terribly narrow-minded and bigoted. It's a view that Christians believe that Jesus is the only way to God Isn't that rather than narrow-minded? Somehow, the Lord in the correction of this woman Jezebel is coming across as a rather stiff, narrow-minded person. She is not tolerant. So often believers who really take a stand for righteousness are seen in the eyes of others as being intolerant people. Yet the Lord here is calling for intolerance in his people in respect to sin. Notice that in the letters to the church at Pergamum and to the church at Thyatira, the Lord links sexual immorality with idolatry. If people deliberately reject the Lord's authority, he is no longer their God. You get that? If people deliberately reject the Lord's authority, then he is no longer their God. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? The result is they must find another God. For it is impossible for the human spirit to live without something to live for. That is what a God is. Whatever you are living for, whatever makes life worthwhile to you, becomes your God. It may be the God of pleasure. It may even be sexual pleasure. It may be the God of wealth. It may be the God of power. A lust of power and ambition. It may be the search for fame. It is not hard to compromise and go along with the standards of the world around you. So in ending this study tonight, Thyatira had a definite and even greater ministry of service and endurance, one that seemed to be motivated by faith and love, but Thyatira lacked on the side of zeal for sound doctrine, moral purity, holiness of life, and zeal against false teaching and practice. Obviously, the church needs to have sound doctrine, moral purity, holiness of life, and zeal against false teaching and practice. It needs a balance, or it will eventually lose its testimony and capacity for ministry. It's kind of a tough, tough topic to, to teach on and, and even to study on because today's world, we have, I'll take our church, we have a 100 or so people sitting in the pews on Sundays. And is it business is business? Is it okay to go out and do some of these things? So I ask you tonight, where are you standing in this? do you want any answers, you can answer to yourself. But friends, we need to be listening to the Son of God He gives us the orders and we'd better take them from him or the church will be in trouble.